Hello and welcome to Far From Fear, the podcast that explores the intersection of cancer and thought wellness. I'm your host, Jen Farr. Thanks for joining me on this journey. On today's episode, I've invited Andrea to reveal her cancer story. I'm grateful for her willingness to share in this space. I'm here today with Andrea and she's agreed to share her own personal journey of how she went through her own cancer journey. So I'm about to turn 64 and I can't believe that come this summer, it's going to be 10 years ago because I was 54 years old when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. It's crazy to think it's been that long. So what happened in my case was I was just changing to go swimming one day to my master swimming program and my hand sort of slid past my left boob and I felt something and I thought, well, that's kind of weird. And so that same day I called my doctor. He saw me right away. He felt around and he said, yeah, I like, I don't think it's something that we have to worry about, but just to be sure, we'll send you for a mammogram. (laughs) They're GPs. How can they know what's cancerous and what's not? Nobody really can. They don't want to send you out of the office going, oh God, it's cancer for sure. So he sent me out of the office instead saying, you know, we need to follow up. So it took maybe, I don't know, a week and a half or something to have my mammogram at the same time I had an ultrasound. And it was one of those situations where you kind of knew, but you tried to dismiss it. Like all the signs seemed to be there. I remember sitting in the little locker room, changing into my gown and seeing the, the posters all dealing with breast cancer and But mostly my brain tried to shove that aside. But as soon as I was done with everything and they asked me to come into the back room to speak to whoever it was, I don't remember, technologist, manager, my heart sank because I knew that probably wasn't good. So from there, they told me that I would need to have a biopsy and an MRI. And I had been on a cycling weekend with a bunch of friends and my husband and I'd been riding 70K and, oh, this was in between things. And I remember saying to my one friend who's a nurse, I mean, I can't have cancer. Look at me. I'm riding 70 kilometers. I'm not sick. Like, there's nothing wrong with me. This is ridiculous. And part of me also hoped that it would just be a benign cyst, which, of course, is a possibility, right? Anyway, so I, I remember clearly by the Friday of however many weeks later all of this was, I couldn't get through to my doctor's office, couldn't get through. So finally, I just camped out on his doorstep on Monday morning. I just went into his office and I remember him poking his head out to call in the next patient and looking at me. And I think I read a lot into his face, but his face said, oh, I better see her because I've got bad news to deliver, Mm. which indeed he did. And it's funny looking back, that part is a blur. Uh, because someone's just told you you have breast cancer you've no idea what that means you don't know if you're going to drop dead tomorrow or be just fine down the road so you're filled with emotions but I'd say primarily the first emotion you feel is fear Mm -hmm. so I I got out of the office I called my husband and broke down said I have breast cancer and and my husband, bless his soul, he had ridden his bike to work, which was about a 50-minute ride, bike ride. So he got off the phone. He thought to himself, I could ride my bike back home. And I really need that to catch my breath and figure out how I'm going to deal with this. But the optics would be pretty bad. So I better call a cab. <laughs> so he called a cab. 
the cab driver. I love this part of the story. I, I Looking back, all of this is funny. At the time, it wasn't very funny, but he called a cab. The cab driver said, and how are you today, sir? And my husband, being my husband, said, not that great, actually. I just found out my wife has breast cancer. Aww. And the cab driver said, oh, don't you worry, sir. Your wife will be fine. She will go to the Ottawa hospital and she will have Dr. Angel Arnaud and everything will be good. And, and so he came wow. home and told me all this. <laughs> and at the end of the day, of course, I did end up having Dr. Angel Arnaud. Prophetic or something. <laughs> I know. It was just one of those do-do-do moments. As a family, we regrouped. My, my daughters were, eldest daughter was in second year university. Oh, but it was summer. No, it was spring. She was in first year. She was home. Maybe the everything was done by then. Yeah. And my other daughter was in grade 11. And my older one had been cleaning the floors for me. And she just kind of went silent and finished cleaning the floors. Mm. The other one started bawling her eyes out and going, you can't die. I can't lose you. It was just interesting how different they were. And then yeah. how they reacted then with their friends and whatnot was also very interesting down the road because Maggie, my older one, told everybody. Mm. Annie, the younger one, kept it inside. Mm. And it was interesting because unfortunately that whole journey did impact our relationship too ultimately it was her grade 12 year when I was going through treatment and and it was it was hard on her because I couldn't be as present as I had been in grade 12 it's an important year for high school kids and it was hard yeah so that was Monday I was told I had invasive ductal carcinoma you don't know what that means. You try not to Google. That's always the biggest mistake. I think we, well, not just women, anyone I suppose makes is you immediately turn to Dr. Google and then you can just terrify yourself even more. And that's always a bad idea. Yeah. So I tried not to get too carried away with that. My husband called the breast health center that afternoon and they said, oh yeah, nope. She has an appointment with Dr. Angel Arnaud Friday afternoon at two, whatever it was. Now oh, this is Monday. So as many women will know, that period of knowing that you have cancer, but not knowing what's going to happen to you yeah. is one of the most difficult waiting periods. So that, and sadly today we're looking at crazy longer wait times than what I had. It was five, well, five days. The other now humorous part of the story is that when we went to that appointment, my husband dropped me off while he circled for parking. And I went in, I had to sign all sorts of forms. And one of the forms was a uh, smoking cessation policy form. And I read this and I said, but I've never smoked in my life. Like what? Oh my God, this must mean that I have lung cancer too. Oh. And that's what is meant by invasive ductal carcinoma. Invasive means it has now invaded my body. Right. So by the time I'd finished these forms and my husband found me, I was just like a puddle of tears. I, no. I, was, I was a mess. But that's it's not a, a normal thing to leap to that conclusion if you have to sign a piece of paper that says, I'm not going to smoke. Clearly, your mind is not coming from a normal viewpoint at this, exactly. at this time. You're just like everything is just exactly. amplified and yeah scary and so much scarier yeah and I think I remember having a conversation actually with a gentleman um, about his wife going through her diagnosis and he was saying 
it was just so medical and it was so impersonal. And that was the most fearful moment for both of them was Mm -hmm. going through that. Like you said, the forms and, or the pamphlets and it's, you're already cascaded a myriad of pamphlets and information and all that kind of stuff. So you don't even know how to process. So many times I've thought, I write about that in my book is that we really do need a gentler way of delivering. Exactly. Here you go. Yeah, no, there has to be a better way. I don't know what it is, but I think the second you get your result is when you should be already sitting in front of the surgeon and then they walk you through what comes next. We met Dr. Arnaud. She she drew diagrams of how the breast is structured, how the cancer is in the duct, but has jumped over the wall. And that's why it's called invasive. And that my, my tumor was two and a half centimeters and that lumpectomy plus radiation had the same outcome as uh, mastectomy. And then she wanted to do a physical exam, of course. So we did. I changed. She came in. I was, I remember sitting on the bed and she took one look at me and she said, oh, that could be a problem. And I said, what? What? And she said, well, you're kind of small. I might leave a dent. And my husband without missing a beat said, "Uh, have you seen our cars? We don't care about dents. (laughs) It was just. And that, and that moment of levity just kind of cut through everything. And the nurse was laughing. I was laughing. Tim was laughing. Dr. Arnaud was laughing. Like it was just, yeah. and I remember leaving that afternoon, that Friday afternoon appointment, we got home and we said to the kids, let's pack up the car. We're going to the cottage and we're just going to relax and celebrate. Life is good. And I think one of the other things that, that women fear, of course, or that men, whoever is told they have cancer, all they can think about is getting in it. So now I know I have cancer. Now, when does it leave my body? Please make it quick. But one of the things I'll never forget is that she told me, this is not a fast growing tumor. You're a woman of a certain age. It's probably been growing for at least two years. So all of that made me feel better. It made me think I'm not having surgery two minutes after I meet with her. It's all good. So the surgery came, I think it was about three weeks later, three, four weeks later. And in all of this, that is the one date that I, that is locked in stone for me. July 16th was my surgery date. Mm-hmm. And I remember her holding my hands as they were getting ready to put me to sleep. I remember being there when I woke up and her saying, I am ecstatic with how that went. <laughs> so she was just so kind and such a, such a real person and not just a doctor in a mask and she made all the difference in the world for yeah. me yeah that, that does make a difference i think i'm sure everybody else has, they have their own experiences but it does make a difference when you do have a medical team behind you that is supportive and that has the compassion because that really will make it make a big difference yeah then I did end up having to go through chemo, even though no one really thought that that was going to be a requirement. And I think the protocol would probably be very different today. I suspect today I wouldn't have chemo, but things change. We learn more. We know when chemo is required more comprehensively than we did. 
And so it was four rounds of chemo, not that it was the end of the world. So many women <laughs> have had so much more than I, but it was still chemo. I lost my hair. There were all those crazy things. And the more women I met along this journey, the more I realized a lot of women didn't even care about losing their boobs. It was the hair that was it's the so, No, it's so true. Oh my God, it's so true. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then I had 21 rounds of radiation and that sort of put us into just about Christmas. And I started tamoxifen in the new year. That was another six years of drugs, but that's now been several years too. So yeah, now it's just me against the world. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Are you still on tamoxifen? No, no, no. Okay. Okay. So yeah, it's a lot of those things that I keep wondering. I'd love to hear other stories on with women's experience with tamoxifen specifically Uh, the symptoms and like the shortness of breath and, or the muscle pain, the joint pain. Those the weight gain, the, the, weight gain, yeah, yeah, the, weight the sleeplessness, the, the hot flashes. Uh, the, yeah. <laughs> I think the hot flashes were the biggest thing that everyone that I knew complained yeah. about. One of the most important things that happened in all of this was the hospital at the time was running a support group called Stepping Stones. And I really didn't think that I needed support. My husband was a wonderful, is a wonderful support. I have a lot of good friends and I knew everyone would step up and do everything they could to help me. Yeah. But I signed up for the support group anyway, because I like to sign up for things. And <laughs> <laughs> after going to that first meeting, I was like, oh, I get it. I am never missing one of these meetings again. This is incredible because that day I learned what it's like to talk to other women who are on the same journey as you. And it doesn't really matter. I mean, it does matter. It does matter how supportive your immediate family and your friends are, but no matter how supportive they are, they don't know what it's like to be in your shoes. And there is just something empowering about being with other women that are facing the same fears and same treatments and whatever as you are. And by the end of that six week course our poor social worker wasn't running the course anymore we were running it ourselves we just become (laughs) this little tribe and we still there are seven of us I guess that still get together and I remember in the earlier days when everyone was sort of still in treatment and not not back at work and whatnot we would get together pretty regularly and on some days I just remember think driving along going I'm just gonna sob I'm gonna let it all out in front of them and they're gonna pick me up And what would happen when I got there was quite the opposite. Somehow our togetherness, our joint journey just brought out joy and laughter. Yeah, there were tears sometimes, but instead of falling apart and crying, they build me up and support me. And I felt stronger when I left. And it, it was, it was a really, truly special thing. And that's of course why I then eventually started my own support group and still run that. And that's been what seven years now or something yeah yeah Yeah. you inspired me just to give a bit of a background story for listeners Andrea was actually my peer counselor when I was going through my journey and I remember being angry I remember Mm -hmm. that particular phase was in between the two cancers and I was very angry angry and I remember you actually challenging me with a situation because I was expressing to you my frustration and my anger with the insurance company. I was being harassed and I'm like, Oh, I'm just, ah, and I'm just got to go to bat and I'm going to sue them and blah, blah, blah. But you had said to me, 
Basically, do you really feel you want to show up in that energy? Do you really feel that is, how do you feel that that is going to benefit you going down the road? And I'm like, well, I'm just going to prove a point. (laughs) (laughs) But it made so much sense to me that really that was not for me to go after. Yeah, not at that point anyway. Not at that point, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The the point for me then was to find the healing and then write about it in my book. (laughs) Yeah. But and I gave you a little journal to write in, as you, I recall. You did. You did. Yes, you did. And now it's, I think it, that's the thing. It's so many years removed from even the first cancer, but the second cancer for me too. I've had this opportunity to really reframe my mindset. And when I look back, I think, wow, I really was angry at that time, but it wasn't serving me. How was I healing? How was I going to move forward if I was mm-hmm. going to continue to be in that negative right you know, headspace so again i just want to really thank you for that because that really <laughs> did help me so i guess that, that would lead me to the sort of the question around mindset do you feel that your particular journey it sounded like it started off with a lot more of a positive mindset and laughter and embracing joy and embracing the now embracing the present mm-hmm. moment as opposed to looking at the what ifs and feeling all of that oh yeah I, and i think I don't think anyone is not going to go there when it comes to the what ifs and, mm-hmm. you know, or, and re- worry about recurrence and everything else. That's, you can't not. Okay. But as I tell all the women who are more newly diagnosed, the further away you get from it, the less and less it becomes the number one thing in your mind. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things that, that this breast cancer journey taught me was to let go of the little stuff. And it's more about embracing life and enjoying it. And in some cases, trying to make a difference. I've (laughs) become embroiled, one might want to say, all sorts of advocacy work and fundraising and the support work. And it's like breast cancer came at a time when I was ready for it. So I'm lucky in that way. I didn't have young children. I mean, something that I don't know how young women with small children and whatnot negotiate this sort of thing. I wasn't older and with other frail health conditions or whatever. It's if there was going to be, <laughs> if there's such a thing as a good time for you to get cancer, <laughs> right. it was a good time. I feel like I really did use that experience and turned a really negative thing yeah. into something positive and thereby, I won't, I won't say I derive joy from having cancer because I would never say that, but I do derive joy from helping others. And when I used to, when in the early days, when I used to talk about my story, fundraising events or whatnot, people would say, oh, you're so selfless to talk about this in person or to talk to other women. And I said, yeah, actually, no, it's the opposite. I am extremely selfish because talking to others about this helps me it's <laughs> it's not selfless at all I know I'm selfish I'm getting something out of I, this too don't get me wrong <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. oh, I, I think it, it helps my healing process to help others and that's a big part of it yeah I've been following you on Instagram throughout the years too and <laughs> I've always been so inspired by the fundraising events definitely okay so one of them I really would love for you to share because that fundraising event and the machine that you were able to, yeah. that I really, really would love for you to chat about that. So that event is called Olympink and it's a master's swim meet 
with a component that is also a fundraiser. And so I, I'd been swimming with a master's group for some time. And basically the idea was born within that group because we were this small little community of middle-aged people who had good ideas and some time to actually put into them. And we decided that there were walks for cancer and there were runs and there were all sorts of events, but there was no, no such thing as a swim for cancer. Sure. So we dreamed up this idea that we would involve Olympians and make the connection that a breast cancer patient can't, well, any cancer patient, honestly, can't get through any of this without a lot of support, community, friends, whatever. And an Olympian is very much like that too. They don't, they can't do that in a bubble. They need coaches, they need support, they need community, they need all those things. So the first year that we held the event, most of it was just a regular swim meet. And then we stopped the swim meet and just had one little portion that we called the ceremonial breast cancer survivor swim. So in each of the lanes, we had one Olympian and then paired up with each Olympian, we had two or three breast cancer survivors in each lane. And I had made these plastic ceremonial torches, not real fire. And we basically used a kickboard to kick down to the end of the pool and back. And while we were doing this, I was with my swim coach, who's an Olympian. And being an Olympian, she just kept saying, kick harder, let's go, let's go, we gotta win. <laughs> and so I had no idea what was going on around me. But afterwards, my husband and other people, they all said, oh my God, you should have seen the audience in that moment. There were tears everywhere. Not a dry eye was left just because it was so, it was powerful to watch these women just showing that they could do this. They could undertake an Olympian struggle and emerge on the other side. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So we held it for a few years before COVID shut us down. And then we came back again last year and raised $152,000, which bought the Ottawa Breast Health Centre a new ultrasound machine. And so now that ultrasound machine lives in a little ultrasound room that is called the Olympic ultrasound room, which is pretty cool. Amazing. So yeah, that's the other great thing is we need more technology to help with all the screening that is required and the more machines we have the smaller the wait time will be although we still need more people to run those machines but that's another story (laughs) (laughs) maybe some ai aspect to that might be okay one day for sure one day right yeah it's Um, coming oh it's so wild just a little side note i was in austin texas last may for a conference i was in the airport on my way home and the machines that they were using were just fascinating. I remember saying to the security guard, wow, these are really high tech looking machines. And he he said, yeah, you don't even need to take your laptop out. It is actually something like magnified times, whatever. I don't even know the technicalities for it, but he said it was the strongest machine. And all I could say was, this needs to be used for ultrasounds, <laughs> for MRI machines, for, right. for people going through their own journeys of cancer and to be able to detect earlier on. Mm. Um, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> that was my first thought. I probably yeah. thought that other well, one. It's funny how that happens very in a very organic way, I guess, where you look at so many situations from a different lens now. Yeah. Yeah. It's changed my worldview. There's no question about that. Yeah, definitely. 
Amazing. Well, I'm so grateful that you wanted to come on today. It's and... because I'm selfish. I'll talk at a time. <laughs> <laughs> you be continue to be selfish, honey, because you're doing doing good work. So I'm like so appreciative. And I just, I, again, I wanted to say thank you. All right. Well, thank you. Cause that was fun. That concludes today's episode. A big thank you to my guest, Andrea, for revealing her story and showing up for all of you in this space. Consider visiting farfromfear-coaching.com to subscribe to my website. And remember, you're not alone on this cancer journey, and there's healing in revealing.